Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. <laughs> It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, Dave is the winner of the two passes to play 18 holes at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. Congratulations, Dave. And thank you very much for listening tonight. Reed Wilkins live at Remax Field. First pitch in a couple of minutes as the prospects host the Medicine Hat Mavericks. Prospectsbaseballclub.com to get their full schedule and more information. And they're uh, already gearing up for their big Canada Day game. Always a full house. Great fireworks show after the game. That's at 7 o'clock July 1st. Moose Jaw is the opponent this year. They're about to tip off Golden State, Toronto, Game 3 of the NBA Finals. No Clay Thompson tonight for the Warriors. So another injury for the Warriors as the Raptors will try to go ahead in that series. Blue Jays trailing the Yankees 7-4 in the sixth and the Stanley Cup final resumes tomorrow with the Bruins and the Blues playing game five. We'll have it for you on 6.30, Chad, with the broadcast starting at 6 o'clock. Game six on Sunday. And if there is and a seventh game needed, that's going to be one week from tonight, Wednesday, in Boston. However far it goes, we will have all the games for you. Eskimos regular season starts next Friday. And we have every Eskimos game on 6.30. Chad, 5.30 countdown to kickoff on the 14th. Game starts at 7 as the Eskimos take on the Montreal Alouettes. And uh, tomorrow... I know Dave Campbell put this out on Twitter earlier. The uh, mock game for the Edmonton Eskimos from 11 to 1. Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Then cutdown day is Saturday. The cuts have to be made by uh, 8 o'clock Edmonton time. So some stories to keep an eye on there going into the weekend. Uh, Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Ched Studio. Kellen, how are things going, buddy? Doing great. How about you, Reid? Well, I, I had a pretty interesting day. <clears throat> um, the... McKenzie Tour stop coming up uh, in Edmonton over uh, over the long August long weekend. It's going to be played at the uh, Country Club from August first, August first to August fourth. It's called the 1932 by Bateman Open. Kind of an interesting name. We're going to get into the story of that coming up uh, in a few minutes here on the show. But they had the uh, the media availability today, and as as part of this availability, Kellen, mm-hmm. I got to hit a golf shot. Oh, okay. So, well, first of all, they're they're doing they're doing a pretty cool thing, and we're going to get the explanation from uh, from Mike Bateman coming up in the interview I did with them. But basically, they're having a million dollar hole in one challenge as part of the tournament, and this is for your everyday golfer. And they're going to have qualifying uh, shots in July in courses uh, around the province, so it's not just going to be Edmonton golfers. And this is just an everyday Joe can pay a little bit and hit the shot, and then. 
you know, out of each location, they'll take a closest to the pin golfer, and then they get to come to the actual tournament, and on the Saturday night, August 3rd, hit the shot, try to win a million bucks. So, so it's pretty cool, nice little little feature of the tournament. So, as being there today, I got to hit the shot that that's going to be the the million dollar hole in one challenge on on August 3rd. Okay. All right, Kellen. So, as as you well know, because I lament it to you both on and off air, my golf game tends to need a little bit of work. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> we'll we'll I, use I, your terminology. I, sure. I do not excel at the sport. There's right. a play way to put it. Though I have my moments. <clears throat> so uh, it, it turned out only only five people wanted to participate in the shot today. Uh, one of them is the general manager of the Edmonton Country Club. That's They're, they're hosting the tournament. Okay. Uh, he's a pretty good golfer. Uh Will Bateman hit the shot, who we're going to have an interview with him coming up. Obviously, uh, Edmonton pro golfer is playing on the uh, Latin American Tour, won a tournament on that tour uh, a few years ago, doing really well. He's going to be in this tournament. Uh, His dad, Mike Bateman, who is, uh, I believe he's a two-handicap himself. Sometimes he caddies for Will. So he's an excellent golfer. And uh, then one of our colleagues from from, uh, from Global, uh, one of their uh, camera guys, hit the shot as well. So they all go. It's about it's it's a carry over the ravine on the 18th hole at the Country Club. I don't know how many people have been out there, but it's it's a beautiful hole. You got to hit it o- over the ravine and onto the green. So it's playing around 155 yards. So like, for me, that's a six iron, a club I'm generally not as bad with as many of my other clubs. So we get to go to the range and hit a few shots. So I I don't know. I hit maybe a dozen shots on the range. About three of them were good. Three of them were garbage, and maybe six would have been usable if I was playing an actual round. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Just hit the shot. So I go last out of the five people, uh, and there's no other ball on the green. Now Will Bateman, who's the pro, hit an excellent shot straight at the pin. But these, you know, the good pros put so much spin on the ball, it hits the green and it rolls back, and it's right on the front fr- fringe, just just off. So I'm going up there, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, Wilkins, just get it in the air. Just, just freaking get it in the air. Right. Don't chunk it, you know, 40 yards into the ravine. Just get it in the air and at least have a shot that is, is, is half, half but respectable. And I, you know, I, I often pull the ball and hit it left. Now the funny thing is, there, there was a really expensive car to the to the left that should have been out of range. And you know, they were joking like, "Well, nobody hit the car." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, if I pull it like I can pull the ball, I'm going to hit that car." Because you know, there was the green, there were some bunkers, there was a little bit of rough, and then the road that this car was on. And I'm thinking, like, people are joking. That car's not out of range if I if I yank it as far left as I'm capable of. But I'm like, don't don't think about what's going to go wrong. Take a deep breath and just make solid contact. Get it in the air. If, if you're not on the green, you can live with that. But especially don't chunk. So here's what I'm thinking. Don't chunk it into the ravine because that's another one of my mini misses is that I hit the ground about three inches in front of the ball or I guess behind the ball and barely hit it and it you know just squirts and goes nowhere. And then my other one is that I pull it way left. So, okay. So I get up to the ball. And I actually, first of all, I made good contact with the ball. And it's up in the air. And, I, you know, that moment of relief. Okay. I've hit a respectable shot. I, I You know, I couldn't quite tell the, the trajectory. But I hear someone yelling, go, go. I'm like, okay. 
it's probably a little bit short. That's fine. It's clearly going to get over the ravine. And uh, it's going a, like a little bit left, not way left, but towards the left edge of the green. There's a bunker front left, Kellen, and I'm thinking, okay, you know what? If it's in the bunker, fine. I'm fine. I'm not going to have to deal with it. But I'll have got the ball over and not completely embarrassed myself. Mm-hmm. Well, Kellen Kennedy, what do you think happens? Uh, I'm thinking that uh, a bird flies out of nowhere and intercepts <laughs> the ball mid-flight and you never see it again. <laughs> see, that's why you need to write wrestling scripts. It's nothing <laughs> that crazy happened. So it, it clears that bunker and it hits the, the opposite side of the bunker that was a little bit sloped. So it's about you know 20 to 25 feet left of the pin, but it hits this slope that's angled towards the green and starts rolling directly toward the center of the green. Ooh. So I wound up, uh, I'm going to say 17 feet. It was a back pin, 17 feet short of the pin, basically right in the middle of the green, the only guy out of the five to hit the pin. Hey, nice. There you go. So for a brief moment... I was the greatest golfer in the world. <laughs> I think in that in that seven second span it took me to hit that shot, I was ranked number one in the world. Until some twelve year old in Georgia hits a hole in one on his uh, dad's. Yeah, exactly. For that moment, something. I felt like the king of the golf world. Right. Anyway, Homer just shook my hand. Great mascot. Legendary mascot. Good to see Legendary him. Legendary mascot. Homer, the uh, mascot here at Remax Field. Game's underway, by the way. Going into the bottom of the first. Medicine Hat did not score. All right. So uh, more on this uh, on this tournament. Mike Bateman is the managing director, and the Bateman uh, family name, the the business uh, in Edmonton, uh, well known. So this is going to be called the 1932 by Bateman Open. Uh, Mike Bateman coming on board as the managing director, and I sat down this morning and spoke with him. Well, Mike, uh, great to talk to you, and uh, awesome for you guys to get involved here uh, with the 1932 by Bateman Open and I want to ask you about the name first of all uh, 1932 by Bateman uh, how that ties into really an incredible family history here in Edmonton yeah, we um, we embarked on a project uh, to redevelop our site uh, on 89th Avenue and 99th Street a few years ago with uh, some amazing partners and went through the rezoning process and our and our families before my dad passed away in 2011 he told me he wanted us to someday redevelop that location. Uh, my grandfather started there in 1932 as a as a butcher um, and then of course grew the business from there. Uh, my my father was in the grocery business, I was in the grocery business, and uh, so we we embarked on this this uh, project to redevelop the site and, and to build a, a condominium, two condominium high-rises there. Uh, um, I'm sure my father didn't, didn't think I would ever do something this of this magnitude, but people who know me, you know, we, I, I, again, this tournament, um, we, we stick our neck out and we want to do things that are great for this city. And we think we're putting up one of the, we could be one of the finest buildings uh, in Edmonton. Um, it's going to be beautiful views, great location, mixed use with a, a grocery store on the main floor of the, of the East Tower. And um, so we're, we're embarking on that in the next couple of weeks. We're going to open our sales center here in, in the middle of uh, June uh, at Ritchie Mill on Saskatchewan Drive. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's been a great legacy, and it's a great legacy for our family. Okay, i got to ask. I mean, a great neighborhood, great part of Edmonton. Uh, like, do you remember grandpa's butcher shop was it still going when you were a little guy or did it already change into something else i gotta ask yeah no he uh, so he had a little butcher shop beside a red and white store and then uh just after he started running that store the red and white guy wanted to get out so my grandfather bought his store and knocked a hole in the wall and became this first kind of butcher inside a grocery because as, as back then they were separated but then in 1957 uh he redeveloped that site himself um, knocked it down 
and then built the, what's, what you see there today is a two-story building. There was there was a, an, a grocery store on the main floor, and at the time it, it was a state-of-the-art. Had an in-store bakery, and so he back then he was already kind of that that forward thinker. Um, so he just re- redeveloped the site. So I don't, I don't remember those days, but of course what's there now, and of course unfortunately the the building just out, outlasted itself, and it's you know it's very old, and we just need to redevelop it and, and, and make a great uh, great community center of, of people and, and and retail. So it was I don't remember it. I got pictures of it, but uh, it's it's a, it's a cool story. I'm sure there are some great pictures of it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, getting involved here with the the 1932 by Bateman Open, you know obviously. Uh, Will, uh, you know, a great, a great career for him, and he keeps plugging away for sure. Um, and, and I mean, Aaron Wise obviously won this event a few years ago. He's on the on the, on the PGA Tour, so I mean, this brings so many great golfers to town. Uh, so many golfers who are who are ready to go places. Yeah, people people I don't think give these guys enough credit. The competition um, from when Will started as a pro, uh, the competition in, in the game today to get to the PGA Tour is is gone up just. People don't understand how, how tough it is to get there. Um, and these players are world-class. I mean, Tony Finau played on the Canadian Tour. I mean, he's the top 10 guy in the world. Aaron Weiss. I mean, he, you know, uh, J.J. Spawn, he he played this tour, uh, missed in, in 2000, I think it was 15, missed every cut. 2016 came back, won the money list, went to the web.com, won there, and now he's on the PGA Tour. So it is a definite feeder system, and these guys are world, these guys are world-class. You're having the uh, million-dollar hole-in-one challenge, which is pretty fun, and I guess a chance for, if you want to call them the everyday golfer, to, to qualify and, and come a, come and take a swing here on, on tournament weekend. So how exactly is this going to work for people who might want to try to qualify for this? Okay, so we're having a uh, qualifying weekend on July 6th and 7th. So uh, with a, we're going to list the 20 clubs where you can qualify. And for $50, you get a shot at being the close to the pin for the Saturday and Sunday challenge. If you're that person, you come to you come to the country club on that uh, that weekend and shoot for a million bucks. And so your $50 gets you uh, two passes for the tournament week, which are worth $150. You're getting uh, in- entry into the barbecue that night. You get entry into the, we're having a party that night on, on site. And, and you get a chance to shoot for a million bucks. And your $50 donation goes, the proceeds go to the charity. So it's it's a win-win-win for everybody. It's very exciting. I mean, we're going to have a DJ on site. We're going to have a beer gardens that night. Uh, you know, we're going to make it a real, a real cool function and and go shooting for a million bucks i mean that's pretty awesome and uh, obviously two really important charities involved in this as well yeah with with supporting casa um with just with the children's mental health and uh you can use services as the two benefiting charities i, I just we've always supported uh our families always supported the communities and supported charities in the city and the city's been great about supporting charities and we just we, we, we want to really hit a home run and and, and set a record for the city for the, for this event to raise money for these charities so very important that people come out and, and support the event uh, there's all all kinds of ways to support the charities and through sponsorship and through attendance that those are the ways we can uh, we can raise money for them and we're very very excited about that part of it all right uh, great stuff that was my conversation earlier today with mike bateman the managing director it is the 1932 by bateman open the mckenzie tour stop here in edmonton it's uh, going to go from july 29th to august 4th at the country club will bateman will be playing in the tournament 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You will hear from him in a couple of minutes. Good start for the Raptors, up 15-7, four and a half minutes into the first quarter. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, 15-7, Raptors leading the Warriors, 6-38 left in the opening quarter. Now 17-7 for the Raptors, so hot start for them. No Clay Thompson playing for the Warriors tonight. Uh, I was mentioning earlier today, I attended the uh, launch news conference for the 1932 by Bateman Open. It's going to be at the Country Club July 29th to August 4th, and Will Bateman will be playing in that tournament. Well, Will, good to see you again. Uh, you're ready to rock and roll for the 1932 by Bateman Open. Uh, before we roll into that, uh, I mean the golf world, PGA world, two major stories, I guess. What was it like for you to see Tiger get back on top and, and win the Masters? Greatest comeback of all time. Um, yeah, I I always believed in him, though. I, I, I really, you know, at a young age when he was having all those back problems, I, I just... People always said, oh, he'll never win again, he'll never win again. I mean, I kept saying he's going to win again. He's going to win majors again. Um, I mean, he's, in my opinion, the greatest athlete, you know, to walk the earth, um, especially in our profession, but, you know, maybe the greatest athlete of all time. Someone finally agrees with me. Thanks for that. Uh, (laughs) And I guess the other story is... uh, Brooks Kepka doesn't win a ton of tournaments, but when he does, he makes sure it's it's, it's a major. I mean, he's he's quite a story. He just goes out there and gets it done in the big ones. Yeah, just I really like his attitude and and I think his approach to training um, is just on another level than a lot of guys even out there. Um, I have a few friends that play on PJ Tour and and it just seems to me like Brooks really takes training seriously and he gets his body prepared for the majors. Which you know, if you look back and when Tiger Tiger was playing his best. He he kind of um, built his schedule around majors, and I think really that's what Brooks does. That's why he performs really well. All right, and uh, you're continuing to play on the uh, the Latin America tour. Uh, and you just mentioned to me before we started taping, they got to take the summer off because yeah. it's too it's too hot to golf. Yeah. If only we had that problem in Edmonton some days. But uh, how, how have you been playing? How do you feel about your season so far? Good. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been playing good. Um, I battled my way through the last couple of years, and I got back to you know where I think I'm you know where I think I can be to to win golf tournaments. And and you know I I had a a few great um, first couple rounds down there, and and some good some good tournaments. Just haven't really gotten over the cusp of uh, really getting to those 10, 11, 12 under numbers. Um, but you know, I'm continuing to work hard and staying patient, and I'm you know very optimistic about the the second half, and I'm just training hard and looking forward to it. So you're telling me uh, what Argentina were some of the places you played? Yeah, so uh, a couple in Argentina, and then we went to uh, Chile, Brazil, Jamaica, Dominican, and T. And it was chilly. You won a couple years ago, right? Yeah, that was in 2015. Unfortunately, 2015. down the street, it wasn't the same course. It wasn't the same course. <laughs> so. Is there... Uh, are, are golf courses a different style 
in in that part of the world I, I, I mean where would I walk on and, and not know I'm in another country yeah completely different um, yeah just it's a it's a really a, it is a really different tour than than the Mackenzie tour PJ tour Canada um, I think just in the sense that you get so many different types of grasses um, you get a lot of different types of conditions you get elevation there so I mean sometimes you know you go to Ecuador for example and it's 8500 feet above sea level and you're hitting five iron 250 I mean it's obviously a whole lot different so it takes some time to adjust but um, yeah you know I, I quite like the condition and 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 I do like the golf courses down there a lot of Canadian guys with you on the tour yeah I, th I, I wouldn't say a lot I think that there's uh, four or five other Canadians um, Drew Nesbitt won uh, he won the week before the match play. So what tournament was that? He won in Tijuana. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a lot of good up and coming Canadians to watch for sure. Country club for the uh, 1932 by Bateman Open uh, in August. What do you know about this course? I played it a bunch. Um, played it a lot when I was younger and I do remember watching the tournament here um, probably 10, 15 years ago. And when uh, Alex Kiros, a good friend of my, my dad's was playing. And I just remember going and getting the scorecards and then the pros throwing me the golf ball. I thought that that was cool. And to be playing it, it is obviously uh, really cool. It's my favorite event of the year. So um, I'm really fortunate to be able to, to play and, and get the exemption. And, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to a good week. All right, that was Will Bateman, local pro golfer. Good to talk to him and telling you about playing on the Latin American Tour, and he'll be playing in the 1932 by Bateman Open in August. We are coming up to the 7.30 news. We're live at Remax Field tonight. Second inning, prospects trailing Medicine Hat 1-0, and the Raptors off to a good start. Four minutes left in the first quarter. They lead the Warriors 26-16. Special guest coming up, former big league pitcher, former Edmonton Trapper, and a former draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets. What a combination there. Kirk McCaskill when we come back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 630 Chad. Just hearing all voicing that commercial for Sister Act. What I'd really like to see is Halsey playing the lead role in Sister Act. Now that's something I would go to. Raptors up 27-16 on the Warriors. Two minutes left in the first quarter of Game 3. Yankees leading the Blue Jays 7-4 in the seventh. I am live at Remax Field tonight. We are in the bottom of the second inning. Medicine Hat leading the prospects 1-0. Prospectsbaseballclub.com for more uh, info on the team and uh, their full schedule. Don't forget their big Canada Day game. Always a blast here at Remax Field. Hey, some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. They have their brunch Northern Chicken style buttermilk biscuits, sausage, gravy, smashed potatoes. Sundays from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. Visit NorthChickenYEG.com. Well, we will uh, keep going with the baseball theme. Very special guest set to join us. He's uh, currently the baseball coach at Torrey Pines High School. Many of you re will remember him as a former Edmonton Trapper, 
big league pitcher, pretty good hockey player as well. It is Kirk McCaskill. Kirk, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate you reaching out. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and, and i got to thank Kelly Rudy, a weekly guest of mine, for giving me the idea. He was saying when he played for the Los Angeles Kings that sometimes members of the Angels would uh, come out and skate, and of course he specifically mentioned you as an excellent, uh, as an excellent hockey player, and I want to delve into that background of your athletic career, but uh, what do you remember about shooting on Kelly and sometimes getting to hit the ice with members of the LA Kings during a pretty uh, well-known part of that? team's history well the thing i remember the most was making sure that the puck didn't go in the air and hit kelly somewhere it shouldn't have so uh uh but it was a great experience uh tony granado at the time was kind of the conduit there and uh tony would come out and take some batting practice with us and then in turn he would take us out to some of the king's workouts and it was awesome uh, it was really fun now, what, what, who was better, the, the hockey players taking batty practice or the baseball players taking a few shots on NHL goalies? <laughs> no contest. The, uh, the hockey players were better baseball players than baseball players as hockey players. We, uh, we, we used to go up uh, for a morning skate, and guys like Jim Abbott and Mark Langston and Rex Hudler uh, would get on the skates, and uh, some of them hadn't skated much in their lives. And and to be honest, some of the Kings were taking advantage of their lack of skating abilities and shooting pucks at their skates and whatnot. But it was it was a blast. It was really fun. Now, did you ever? I don't know how much you would have shared with your teammates your hockey background and the fact that you had a shot in an NHL career. Or did you kind of keep that under wraps and then and then wow the guys when you got out on the ice? Well, because I really didn't have much of a much of a hockey career. I kind of kept it under wraps, Reed, to be honest with you. Well, I, I got to ask you a little bit about your, your hockey background. I, I know you were obviously born in Ontario, but I, I think you, you might have moved around a lot when you were a kid. So tell me not just about, about getting into hockey, but becoming a, a pretty good hockey player when, when you were a young guy. What was that path like? Well, you're right. I was born in uh, northern Ontario, campus casing Ontario, small town. Um, my father was a professional hockey player and played I don't know, 21 years of minor league hockey. Um, he got four games in the National Hockey League, and he played in the WHA for a couple of couple of years. So, uh, you know, we went through Nashville and Vancouver and Phoenix, and and uh, so I started kind of playing hockey. My first uh, organized games were at Tower Plaza Ice Arena in Phoenix, Arizona, and. Uh, uh, and I would go with my dad uh, sometimes to their practices and just loved the game and uh, wanted to be like my dad, like a lot of other kids, and uh, pursued it actually through prep school in New York and the University of Vermont, uh, where I played both baseball and uh, hockey. Now give me the, uh, the scouting report on a young Kirk McCaskill as a hockey player. Sniper? Grinder? Uh, <laughs> what were you like? Well, unfortunately... Uh, there wasn't a lot of speed involved in uh, the Kirk McCaskill's game. Uh, but kind of throw it in the corners, let the other guys do the dirty work, just stand in front and, and try to knock it in the net. Well, nothing wrong with that. They all count for one, right? As long as they go in. doesn't matter if it was a rebound, a tip, or, or a breakaway. So that, that's pretty cool. Now, for, for baseball for you, 
was that you know something you excel that pretty quickly as well and, and how did you sort of balance uh, being an excellent athlete in both uh, in both hockey and baseball obviously time management is a big part I think for for a lot of young people growing up and obviously you would have been going to school as well so how did you sort of juggle everything and, and fit baseball into the mold too well you know if my you know I'm 58 years old now it was just so different when I was a kid I played every sport I played tennis and basketball and uh, hockey and baseball and uh, fooled around with lacrosse a little bit and, and ping pong and just that's all we wanted to do was, was just play. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of TV or distractions or anything like that. So um, in the end, I sort of just focused it down to the two sports. And, you know, coming through, I think, a, a city like Nashville where, you know, baseball was way more, you know, prominent than hockey. I sort of gravitated towards uh, baseball and just continued to play both through high school and uh, went to the University of Vermont on a hockey scholarship, but, uh, um, you know, continued to play baseball and then got drafted in both sports and then uh, played the one year of uh, hockey in the American League. But it was pretty clear that my path was going to be, um, was going to be baseball. And so it eventually stuck with that. So, so what do you remember about that year you played? I, I, I think it was the Sherbrooke Jets at, at the time for the Winnipeg team. And, and is there a story where you, you almost played in a game in the NHL, but it didn't quite work out? What's the, what's the truth behind that, Kirk? Well, I did play in nine exhibition games with the Jets and uh, the full year in the American League. And for whatever reason, the Jets called me up for the playoffs. And uh, I don't think I was ever close to getting into a game, um, but it would have been a thrill. Um, but in the end, no National Hockey League experience and one pretty poor year in the American League rate. Okay. <laughs> Kirk McCaskill joining us tonight on Inside Sports. You're too modest, Kirk. I mean, hey, how many guys have played pro in two sports, right? So, so, so that's pretty cool. Uh, so obviously your, your baseball career, and, and this is great, took you to Edmonton, and you got to be a member of the uh, Edmonton Trappers. I was looking back over your stats here. Uh, 1984, you were a Trapper, and I think you might have had a couple, uh, a couple of games in other seasons. But uh, 84 in Edmonton, that era obviously remembered for, uh, for the rise of the Edmonton Oilers to Stanley Cup championships, but you got to be a trapper at that time. What, what do you remember about being in Edmonton that summer, Kirk? Well, I'll tell you, Reed, what I remember the most is uh, the Oilers uh, winning the Cup. We were, uh, I don't know how we got tickets, but uh, we also got entrance into the uh, locker room after the game, and um, myself, a couple of players, and a couple of coaches were kind of like uh, flies on the wall, just pinned against the wall, watching these guys celebrate after they won their first cup and I'll tell you even though the Edmonton Trappers won the PCL that year um, I remember the uh, the Oilers way more than I remember the uh, successes of the Trappers but so it was a great time I loved Edmonton a great city and uh, I was very happy I got to go through Edmonton on my career. Well, and, and, the, and the ballpark is, is still in the same spot, Kirk. And, uh, look, we don't have AAA anymore, but still right down in the, in the River Valley and a, and a beautiful, beautiful spot that, that a lot of people still like to go to to watch games. Yeah, it was a great, it's a great ballpark, but uh, also a great city. I think teams like coming to Edmonton. Uh, people are obviously so friendly. And there was, there was real good support for the baseball, uh, for, for baseball back then, 1984. So we used to get good crowds, and uh, the games were fun. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great experience. 
Kirk, just a, just a couple more for you. It's great to have you on on the show tonight. You know, you you, you obviously in Edmonton, AAA, and and then you went on to a, to a long major league career with the Angels, and then then with the White Sox. You know, there's a, there's a lot of young baseball players like you were trying to make it. What ultimately for you? allowed you to separate and mature either physically or mentally to, to craft out a substantial big league career? What, what do you think eventually got you over the top? Well, that's a great question. In the end, I would I would say it was just a, a little bit more focus for me on the mental game. I had to, I think the physical skill set was there for me to be good enough to be a major league pitcher at the time. I'm not sure I could do it today, but um, in the end, I invested in, in the mental side of the game, and um, uh, that paid off for me. I think that I saw a lot of guys through the minor leagues that had a lot better stuff and abilities than maybe I did. But, um, you know, dealing with the failures that come with baseball was a real challenge, and I'm sure that's what weeds out a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's a game of failure. Obviously, you've heard it a million times that if you you know, successful three out of ten times, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. And uh, So, you know, having to learn how to deal – uh, with, you know, pitch by pitch, shot by shot, uh, you know, uh, the successes and failures that go with it were, you know, challenging. And, and I'd say that's really what put it over the edge for me. Well, and I'm, I'm trying to look back on your career here. I guess a couple uh, pretty close calls in the playoffs. You, you for, forgive me if I miss those. So the 96 Angels, 93 White Sox postseason appearances where, uh, I guess, Red Sox and Blue Jays got you those years? Yeah, we were in, uh, in 1986 with the Angels. It was my second year, uh, a veteran ball club with Reggie Jackson and Bobby Gritch and uh, uh, Don Sutton and John Candelaria. I mean, it's a real veteran group. And we were one pitch away from getting to the World Series, and the Angels had never been there at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember like it was yesterday, um, Dave Henderson hitting that home run off Donnie Moore with 63,000 people in Anaheim Stadium. And it was like you stepped into a library. The place just went totally quiet. And we ended up losing that series, even though we had a three-game, uh, three games to one lead. But uh, it was tremendous baseball. Um, and, you know, that being my second year, I thought, shoot, I felt worse for our manager, Gene Mock, than I did for me. I thought, this is just how it goes. You play a good season, you get to the playoffs. And in the end, uh, in my 12 years, I only got to the playoffs one more time. So it was special and I cherish those opportunities, but never got to the World Series. Okay, Kirk, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you one more, and, and I know I've seen stories about this, but I got you on the air here, so I so I got to get the version straight from you. Uh, September 4th, 1990, the Griffey Griffey, uh, the Griffey Griffey back-to-back home runs. Uh, you got to be part of baseball history, kind of, <laughs> kind of in an odd way. But what do you remember about Griffey Senior and then Griffey Junior uh, going deep on you back-to-back? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's a once-in-a-universe occurrence. You know, it's, it's never going to happen again. I mean, just back-to-back home runs are pretty rare. Uh, obviously, a father and a son playing on the same team are even more rare. And the chance that they would hit home runs back-to-back is just astronomical. So, it's um, I think Senior was a 40-year-old uh, player at that point, maybe in his last year. And for whatever reason, we decided to throw him a change-up over the middle of the plate that he hit over the center field fence. And then here came Junior, um, and he actually swung at a 3-0 pitch and hit it over the left field fence. And it was sort of like, you know, you didn't recognize what was going on until Junior kind of got to second base. 
and the fans sort of recognize, like, well, this must be pretty special. Um, and the joke that I always tell Reed is that what, what was frustrating was I looked on the on-deck circle. Mrs. Griffey had come out of the stands, and she was on the on-deck circle. Swinging a bat, she wanted a piece of me, too. But uh, uh, I'll tell you, it was, um, it was an amazing, amazing occurrence. And, uh, you know, there's certain ways to get to the Hall of Fame. I guess that's, way, that's one of them. Kirk, I, I got to squeeze in one more, and thanks for doing this, but I got a bit of a standard question I always ask ex-players when I get them on. Who was the best player you ever played with? Who was the best player you ever played against? Well, I think the best player uh, that I played with is Frank Thomas. Um, you know, Frank was, I was there when he was sort of in the heyday of his career, and the thing, the numbers he was putting up were unbelievable. Um, however... You know, I did get to play with Bo Jackson after Bo had his surgery, so I played with him in Chicago. But uh, I would say playing against um, Bo was like, you know, there's so many names. I mean, George Brad and and um, and Jim Rice, but Bo was the most interesting guy to play against. I'd just never seen that sort of athleticism. Um, but you know, they couldn't wait till I got on the mound and they got their at bats against me. So, uh, but it was a thrill just to be on the field with them. Well, Kirk, you definitely have the Canadian modesty. So thanks for sharing some memories from your career. It was a great one. It, it, awesome to catch up with you. Hope you're enjoying your, your coaching career now, and I'm, I'm sure you're following the Stanley Cup final as well. Really appreciate your time. Reed, thank you very much for reach, uh, reaching out. It was a pleasure talking to you. That is Kirk McCaskill. <clears throat> Pardon me. What a pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, former Edmonton Trapper. So the Trappers won the Pacific Coast League in uh, in 1984. And his greatest memory of that was from the spring when the Oilers <laughs> won the Stanley Cup. But interesting note about the Trappers that season. It was the first time in the history of the Pacific Coast League that a team won the championship after having a losing record in the regular season. And what happened that year, and there's probably some of you listening who remember this season, the, the season was split into two halves. So the Trappers were the best team in their division in the first half of the season, even though they only went 35 and 35, it was good enough to be in first place. So that sold them up a playoff spot. In the second half of the year, they were 34 and 38. So for the season, they were only 69 and 73. So they played the second half champion Salt Lake City Gulls in the first round of the playoffs and won three games to two. Rain shortened the championship series against the Hawaii Islanders to a best of three. And uh, the Trappers in Edmonton won both games, 8-4 and then 9-6. So McCaskill on that team. Uh, some great memories of Edmonton baseball, of his hockey career, playing in the big leagues. That was awesome to have Kirk McCaskill on the show. Basketball tonight, 45-33. Raptors leading the Warriors two and a half minutes into the second quarter. And out on the diamond here at REMAX Field, third inning, Medicine Hat leading the prospects 1-0. Back to wrap it up right away. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Well, my heart just grew a little warmer. A young man wearing a Montreal Expos cap just walked by me here at Remax Field. They're coming back someday, I tell you. 
At Remax Field tonight, into the fourth inning now, one nothing Medicine Hat leading the Prospects. Next home game for the Prospects after tonight. Saturday, they will play Okotoks at 7 o'clock. That is minor baseball night. Kids in a uniform top will get in for 5 bucks, and uh, they will have fireworks after the game if the fire ban is lifted. The Blue Jays trailing the Yankees 7-6 in the top of the eighth, and with eight minutes left in the second quarter, the Raptors lead the Warriors 50-38. If you missed the roster update earlier, no Clay Thompson tonight for the uh, Golden State Warriors. So they are really injury riddled on the Raptors trying to take advantage of that. Kellen Kennedy back at the uh, 6.30 Chad Studio. Uh, Kellen, I, I got to say, I really enjoyed talking to Kirk McCaskill, mm -hmm. a, a two-sport athlete. Uh, I mean, he, as he said, he played several preseason games for the Winnipeg Jets, a full season in the American Hockey League. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, I asked him some of the great athletes he played. Bo Jackson. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Bo knows sports. <laughs> All right. So tomorrow, no inside sports. We got a live hockey game. Bruins and Blues, game five. Coverage starts at six. I will return on Friday. Inside sports from six to eight. Maybe we'll have some uh, Oilers coaching staff news by then. Who knows? We'll keep you posted and have all the latest as we go along. Thanks to Angie Quinnell for setting up here at REMAX Field. Thanks to Patrick Cassidy, Jordan Blundell, and the Prospects organization for having us down. Still a great place to watch a game. Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer, and Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. More on 630Shed.com for the latest on uh, Eskimos training camp from Dave as well. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great evening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.